Welcome to IMTV. I'm Alan Keyes, and this is Let's Talk America. Uh, now, of course, in the midst of the situation we've in, we're in, we have been continually, really, talking about this crisis because it involves so much of the fate of our country in all different ways, uh, but especially in terms of the fundamentals that will help to keep us a free people, but also remind us of the character that's required and the faith that's required in order to maintain our God-endowed liberty and what that really means uh, in terms of our responsibility to God, first of all, and then uh, preserving the good fruits that come of it. Today, we'll be talking with somebody who is a scion of uh, somebody you know, because she's been on the program. I admire her greatly, Judy Brown, founder and head of the American Life League. Uh, I'll be talking with the executive director of the American Life League, her son, Hugh Brown, today, and we'll be starting off looking at this very crisis and all of its implications, for better and worse, uh, for the future of our country. You sit tight. We'll be right back. I'm Alan Keyes. I just want to let you know that on a recurring basis every Tuesday, we're going to have a guest, Mike Adams, the Health Ranger. He's going to be joining us to talk about the whole array of challenges, both in terms of our health as a people and as individuals, and our health as a nation. We'll be looking at those things through the eyes of someone who has thought deeply about many things and who has many great ideas to share with me and with you and with everyone who tunes in to Let's Talk America on Tuesdays when we meet with the Health Ranger to talk about how we sustain the health of our liberty. Welcome back. Well, today I'm talking to Hugh Brown, Judy Brown's son. He's the executive director of the American Life League. He's somebody who has and shares her fervor, her dedication uh, to the cause of life, but also that underlying commitment to God and his Catholic faith uh, that then, I think, is the heart and fuel uh, of the pro-life cause. Uh, it is the reason why we both understand and are committed to uh, the will of God that we must all, including everybody in our society and all our laws and the whole thrust of our culture, we must, must get back to respecting the simple truth that life is of God's making, of God's gift, and that when we are careless with that gift, we are in fact rejecting His goodwill for all of humankind. Well, you as somebody who has been out there fighting for that, uh, and ha he has a background that gives us hope, uh, which we don't always have these days, uh, that these kinds of, of premises and principles and faithfulness, that it is in fact moving on from generation to generation, uh, because we're getting to that point, you know, uh, as they were continually reminding us as this coronavirus crisis came about, those of us who are getting up in years, uh, we are in the course of all things kind of headed inevitably toward the fate that everybody's so afraid of right now. You know, you've made your peace if you get to a certain age with the idea that every new day is a gift from God. And one of these days you're going to have that new day in a very different sense, uh, but that you're, that's just the fate of human life. But it's good to be able to feel like uh, the light of faith will be renewed in each new generation. And I think you, Brown, is somebody who helps to vindicate that sense and give us hope, all of us, uh, that that will be true and that uh, our posterity, as our Constitution refers to them, uh, will uh, be faithfully informed, even if they don't always choose to understand and follow uh, the good premises that have helped to make our country, the United States of America, a good and great country, and could keep it so if we will only return with faithfulness uh, to those premises. Well, anyway, uh, enough said. Hugh, welcome to the show, and thank you for being on with me today. Really appreciate it. Alan, it's um, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I have the habit of starting things out just to get the ball rolling with a question. One of the striking things uh, about what has been going on in this kind of unprecedented stoppage of America's economic life. Uh, I was reading in an article, apparently, this is the highest percentage of Americans ever to be sort of taking a vacation from their work life in the history of our country. It's never happened before. Mm. 
uh, and, and some people think, that, oh, that's awful and we're all going to die. I don't know. Every now and again, a crisis like this comes along and what we're doing is a chance to take stock of things and part of doing that is to watch how our supposed elected representatives, the people who should be representing our heart, mind, and goodwill are handling the situation. Uh, and, and one of the ways that's out there that I think causes a lot of concern, especially to people committed to life, is all these governors, mayors, other people who seem to have some really weird priorities and are telling us, uh, as a prime example, that it's absolutely essential in this uh, crisis in which we're all disciplining ourselves out of respect for other people's lives, right? so that we can curtail the spread of the coronavirus and, and, and keep the death toll down from that virus and help to keep others from getting infected. It's all life-oriented. And yet, when they go to deciding what we are to be able to do and so forth, some things make sense. You've got to eat, right? So the stores that sell food and things should be open. That's a, a, a life-giving thing. Uh, but on the other hand, they have things like drug uh, uh, stores and, and uh, the sale of various and, and, and assorted uh, things that like alcohol and things like this that do not necessarily contribute to everybody's good life, sure. can be contributing to their bad life, uh, and yet they think that's essential services. Mm. Yes. Uh, and, but when it comes to life itself in, in terms of the spiritual life that ties us to God, you have a choice between the abortion clinics, and they say killing babies out of this crisis preoccupied with respecting and perpetuating life. Killing babies is an essential service, but praying to God for the good heart and good will and good courage that helps us to preserve life and respect life, that's a non-essential service now. And they've yeah. been doing all kinds of things. They've been tracking people down and trying to stop them if they're, they're, even when they're observing distancing and all that, they want these churches shut down and they want to keep people from going out to pray. What do you make of that? Well, I can tell you, Alan, one of the things that came to mind, uh, my background also includes, um, for the first 15, 16 years of my life, uh, I was a football player. Hmm. And uh, the Lord has used that in my life um, I think to instill a sense of, of, of toughness and a sense of uh, just trusting his will. And one of the things that all these many years later that I, I took away from that was something that someone said to me when I was a young man, that if you really want to find out who you are, if you'd like to be introduced to yourself, face adversity, extreme adversity that you were not expecting. And I think this country was not expecting this. Um, none of us were expecting the country to be shut down. And what in Virginia, as an example, what you're seeing and what we found, we, we've learned a lot about our governor. OK, so now we're facing adversity, adversity none of us were expecting. And, and the death of one person is tra tragic enough. But as we all know, they are projecting millions and millions of deaths. And clearly that was used to, to scare us. And it was far, far from the truth. Mm -hmm. So this governor's priorities, we, we've learned who he is. I mean, those of us um, who are conservative, those of us who love liberty, those of us who love freedom, we already have a very strong opinion of this man, but we found out that Governor Northam, um, as an example, on Good Friday, he signed an executive order keeping abortion clinics open. Okay, The state, uh, I, I think, takes in some untold billions of dollars through the sale of liquor here in Virginia. You can't go to the grocery store and buy whiskey or, or alcohol, um, uh, hard liquor, if you will. You have to go to a state-run store. They kept that open. All those stores are open. Somehow that's an essential business. And meanwhile, uh, a lot of the things that, that we value are closed. Uh, the schools are closed, um, even, even for um, small learning, you know, groups of kids that need help for tutoring. Uh, churches, as we know, are, are closed. Some churches have even, as a Catholic, some of the churches have actually canceled confession. Mm. Other churches have actually scheduled more confession. So I think on an individual, um, a local, a state, and a national level, you find out exactly who people are. And Alan, with what you've done with your life, I think we, we, we all know very well who, who the enemy is. And we all know very well that uh, liberalism, liberalism is no longer some ideal based around freedom. It, it, it's deceitful. Um, it's about control. Uh, and it's about ultimately power um, and dictating what they think we should do. To them, the government is God. And that government in their minds is changing with the wind. 
We never know what they stand for on any given day. The absolute that we can trust is that it's not good and it's going in the wrong direction. And those of us who love the Lord and those of us who think that there is life after our time here, uh, we, we're, I think that it's, it's incumbent upon us. And it, it's important that this is the hour we stand, Alan. This is the hour we have to be heard. This is the hour we have to, to combat the nonsense that's being foisted upon us. Well, one of the things you said really struck me because I think that that sense of being tested, right? It's especially true that what they're doing, and I think you are absolutely right. They've actually been, shall we say, exaggerating or distorting or purposely trying to pad in some way uh, the figures that they are releasing. I had Scott Jensen on my show not long ago. He's a, a state senator from Minnesota who also happens to be a practicing physician. And he has been telling people about a directive that he got from, uh, I think it was the, the our, uh, U.S. Department of Health. And they were giving guidelines about what you do when you're noting deaths, right? And a doctor has to say what cause the death is from. And there was a very strict ethic about that, so that you really had to be determinative about what the cause was and try to be careful to specify it in the right way. Now, apparently, they are giving out guidelines that say that, and he cited a particular uh, a patient uh, who uh, had a problem that she died from uh, that affected her lungs and, and, and so forth. But no test was done for the coronavirus. Uh, she had had no real exposure to the coronavirus and so forth and so on. So it's likely that it was uh, some other cause. And yet they gave the directive that if there is any connection with coronavirus at all, right? Mm. Uh, and she apparently had a son who was, after she had gone into the hospital and so forth and so on, well, after, uh, uh, diagnosed as positive for the coronavirus. So you probably acquired it after she had gone in. Uh, but they should list that as a coronavirus death, even though mm. there was no other indication of it and they haven't even tested properly for it. And, and he took exception and said that if you start doing that, then you could pretty much list everything that you wanted to. Anything you wanted to could be listed as coronavirus. And it's interesting, other people have pointed out to me that deaths from other causes are dropping. Of course. Is that really happening or is it because they're classifying those things as coronavirus deaths? So they're, they're lying about it in order to instill fear, right? Yes. And one of the things that, that I was thinking as you were talking, um, just think about what it means to Americans. Look over our history. Are we a people who are renowned for our submission to fear? Is that mm. how this country was built? No, no, not in the least. It does make sense to me. And then the second question is, and people don't want to face this, but you and I know they have to. How is it that a people came to a wilderness and were facing all kinds of dangers? You can go through every era of American history and every generation of Americans has lived with danger, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, in the early years, it was uh, it could be battle, it could be war, it could be uh, uh, people who uh, were here and were hostile to your coming here, right? Correct. And and so forth, all kinds of dangers. There were also dangers from diseases of all kinds, yeah. dangers from the unknown, dangers from animals, and so forth and so on. So people who came became renowned around the world for their hardy courage, their fearlessness, and this wasn't just fighting people and people in battle. This was women. In, in, in the frontier. This was children in the frontier. This was people who, in spite of their fears, they built farms, they built a life, they braved the elements, and they built this country. And yes. it happened in generation after generation, all the way up through into the 20th century. Hmm. Uh, why are we suddenly becoming a people so anxious about everything that even before there was a clear proof of what was going on with the coronavirus, we were to be stampeded into giving in to fear uh, rather than considering any other way of enduring the situation. Why is that happening, do you think? I think that we have to, to look at it honestly as Catholics and Christians. And the argument that we need to have, the discussion that we need to have, the other side will not even engage because when you're, you know, Christ said, don't throw your pearls to swine. Mm. One of the great deceptions of our lifetime is that there are liberal Christians or Catholics or conservative liberals or Catholic, uh, 
Catholics. And, and there's no such thing. There, there, there's faithful and then there's not. Mm. And we all fall far short of the glory of God. We all sin. And as a Catholic, I thank the Lord for confession. I find myself there often. And, and again, without trying to be judgmental, but, but I think we have to be. I think we have to be factual. I think we have to be accurate. We have to be strong. And the, the truth of the matter is that the devil is unleashed, right? Um, one of the things that I've been involved in, I helped found a Catholic high school 13 years ago, and it's mm. called St. Michael the Archangel Catholic High School. Mm. Just received diocesan recognition after 12 long years of existence in May of last year, in the, the month of our Blessed Mother, thanks to Bishop Burbage. The reason we named that school, even years before it opened, St. Michael, was we recognized the decline in the culture and that we needed strength. And one of the, the priests that helped found it said to me once that St. Augustine, um, you know, he was leading a very hedonistic life and had a, a marvelous conversion thanks to the prayers of his mother primarily. And at some point in his life, the, 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 the Christians of the day were lamenting the persecution. And St. Augustine is known to have said that, you know, let's not uh, focus too much on our time, but woe to the generation where the devil is unchained. Mm. that he was still restrained in that hour. And that was the, a, a saint's discernment who's one of the doctors of the church. So we have to trust it. And that's where we are. But you can't have that argument because the devil is unchained. You and I probably both know good people, people that we would say have good hearts, yet somehow they support abortion. Mm. Yet somehow they've changed their mind that two men can be married to one another. And, and so we live in a time where just confusion reigns. And the reason that I think we're lacking strength is that the other side has done an extraordinary job, especially in the younger, the, the generations below us, of making Christian young men and women think that they're a bigot, that they're a racist, that they're somehow hateful, if they support the truth of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest lie of this generation. And that's why I don't think that they're not out there, Alan. What I think you have is that young people are afraid. I think they're afraid on the social media that someone will say something ridiculous and they don't respond. They won't defend the faith. They won't defend the truth because they are surrounded. I mean, the enemy is well-armed, if we're honest about it. The enemy, you know, I, I, I also coach a football team, and I coach a football team of 17 young men that won a state championship against all odds last year. They went into some games with only, with only 14 players. And one of the reasons I, I believe we were blessed is that we were faithful. We were faithful. And one of the things that I've told them is that against all odds, we have to trust the Lord. And young people today are afraid to do that because they're afraid of the ridicule. And quite frankly, the fear is a great weapon of the enemy. You know, fear of anything, fear of being rebuked, fear of being castigated, fear of being called names. And I remind young men often, I, part of my calling, I believe, is mentoring young men because I think part of the, the great failing of the culture is the role of men in the family mm -hmm. and, and this whole hookup society where young men are, are, are conditioned to have to sleep with as many girls as possible. And we have to get men back to being men where they realize that their sexuality is a gift, their, their masculinity is a gift. And God has entrusted to them their sexuality in the covenant of marriage with a woman, you know, lo and behold. But those are the types of things, Alan, that I think will we have to have. There, there are plenty of voices out there. The problems that, that we all face is that the media focuses on the negative. Popular culture is dialed in on the negative. And so do we have a weaker generation? Do we have a fearful country? I think in large part we do not. I just think that we're dominated by voices and a cloud that, quite frankly, is just evil. Again, we've learned, we knew here who our governor was, but he's proven emphatically who he is mm. by shutting everything down and yet allowing abortion clinics to be opened by executive order on Good Friday. I mean, it, 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 the, the irony and the, the, just the sickening nature of it, it, it is mind-numbing. Yet, was that covered? was that covered in the media? No. Yeah. No, nobody said a word about it. The fact that it was Good Friday, and he did that. He allowed death on Good Friday, and he calls himself a Christian. You know, one right? of the things that struck me, and you touched upon it in, in, in the course of your remark there, was the fact that people who are fighting in the pro-life cause, for instance, would be called racists. Yes. And I sit there thinking to myself, leave aside what is a data-based, fact-based argument that abortion has disproportionately affected people who are of color, right? Yes, Black it folks has. and others who are of color. Uh, it's, and that abortion clinics, when you look at their locations and other things like that, 
are disproportionately located in proximity to such communities. And yes. that follows through on an understanding that was openly and boldly articulated uh, back in the first part of the 20th century by Ma Ma Margaret Sanger, who yes. was a big admirer of the eugenicists and the people who wanted to get fit rid of inferior races and all of this, and really thought that one of the goals of the abortion movement was to cut down on the population increase in the black community, enlisting pastors and everybody to be on the side of abortion, Yes, uh, but not, tell, not tell, letting on that this was in order uh, to harm the community. But in addition to all of that, about particularly targeting this group or that, the thing that amazes me is that folks don't get it. If you are a big champion of the notion that a child in the womb, as Roe v. Wade was based on, right, mm -hmm. is not a person, <clears throat> Blackman dealt with that explicitly and, mm -hmm. and said, falsely by the way, that the Constitution doesn't warrant resolving the controversy over whether the child in the womb is a person, it right. has no precedent for that. That was a lie, by the way, because yeah. the two-fifths clause, the three-fifths clause, actually set a precedent. Big controversy about whether my ancestors were human, not human, persons, not persons, and the Constitution treated them as persons. Yes. Um, and people uh, never focus on that, but it refuted it. And in addition, our science has now seconded that motion. Yes. Turns out the Constitution was prescient in seeing the personhood in that regard because the DNA uh, discovery and what we know from that, the markers of humanity are present from the moment of conception yes. in every human being. Yes. If you are then taking this stand with abortion, aren't you guilty of the worst kind of racism? Because it you seems to me that abortion is anti-human racism. Mm. You are actually targeting the human race itself Yes. Um, and we can talk about it. Uh, we're running down to the end of this first segment, but, but when we get back. But doesn't that make sense to you? Because it seems to me that these people are getting away with using the term racism, while in fact what they do is to practice a form of racism that encompasses everyone. Yes. And that therefore reintroduces the idea that some of us are people and some of us are not. Am I making yeah. sense? You're making perfect sense. And, and I like to say, Alan, that I think you've made an excellent point. We can't, we can't give enough credit to people that support the slaughter of children, the sale of their body parts, the unashamed use of Christ to defend those actions from anything. So of that we can't discount that they could be guilty of anything. Mm. I mean, we're learning, we, we know very little about our history as human beings, but we know that many of these temples around the world were built hundreds or thousands of years ago for human sacrifice. Yep. And you've heard the same arguments, we've had the same discussion many times here. That sacrifice continues today. Mm. So people that will, that will passionately defend the slaughter of children as a woman's reproductive right and hold rallies and hold signs and mm. call you a racist, we can't discount them from doing anything, Alan, that, that I would call surprising. Well, lie. Look what they did to Justice Kavanaugh. And now what have we learned about Joe Biden? We all know who he is. Well, but somehow we, there's a double standard. When we get back, we're going to take a little break we're, uh, and, and, and we'll be right back. I want to get a little bit more deeply into this. Uh, first, along the lines you were just discussing, and then uh, to compare it to the founding of our country and the premises that are not just the premises of our existence as human beings, they also happen to be the premises of our identity as a people, uh, and get into those and how this whole abortion thing contradicts all that. And in the present crisis, I think a lot of people are revealing the truth that those who support abortion, uh, I call them deathocrats, uh, are in fact people who have rejected the founding premise of our national identity. We'll be right back. Want more IMTV episodes? We are now streaming through Roku. Roku is a device that enables you to stream entertainment to your TV through your internet provider. The starting price is only $29, and you can purchase one either online or through your local electronics retailer. It's easy to use, and you won't have to worry about missing any more IMTV episodes. IMTV, 
changing the world. Podcasts are great when you're a multitasking person. You can listen to them around the house, when you're out in the car, when you take a walk. Now we have put our shows on to podcasts. And you can listen to Let's Talk America uh, on podcasts. You can find them at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, and other apps. While you're there, subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on our new episodes. Thanks for listening and supporting us. Together, we're changing the world. Welcome back. I'm talking to you, Brown, the executive director of the American Life League. And we really are getting into, I think, the meat of the challenge that we now face. It's often presented these days out there in the mainstream media everywhere else as if it's just a challenge. How do we deal with the coronavirus, the war against the coronavirus, and so forth and so on? But I think what is really going on, you, as you have said, is a challenge to our character as a people, a challenge to our faith as individuals. And the question that's in front of us is whether we are going to respond to that challenge in terms of a fearful desire to eliminate every threat so that we can survive as individuals and we can do this and that that we want to do as individuals, or whether we're going to understand uh, that this threat encompasses our moral and spiritual life as symbolized by the attack on, uh, uh, in this, this invidious way of, of keeping abortion clinics open and shutting church services down and not even trying to think it through. There's a will involved in that that seems to encompass a goal that has been characteristic of regimentarian, totalitarian, socialist, Nazi, fascist movements uh, throughout the history of those movements in the 20th century now getting into the 21st. And I think that's one aspect of this whole situation that sadly, not only do a lot of people miss it, but a lot of people of faith don't seem to understand it. Uh, what do you think is the cause of that disconnect? Because it seems to me that folks would see clearly uh, the connection between a demoralized people surrendering to their fear at the expense of respect for life and a people who have discarded morality by disrespecting all human life in the womb. Isn't that obvious? Alan, I, one of the things you said when we first started was that logic and reason come from thoughtful conversations and starting with the truth and then moving forward you know, in, in those conversations. And one of the things that we are faced with today is that people do not think people, uh, especially the younger generations, again, I'm not generalizing, but they're just the obsessions with, with social media, the obsession with spending time on screens, the, uh, the instant attacks on people on, on the various platforms like Twitter, um, where someone can be demonized instantly, and whether people know whether it's true or not. Now, I, I think in a broader sense, when you look at the fact that churches have been shut down, when you look at the fact that a lot of the things that we love have been taken away from us and there isn't a, a great moral outcry is because fear overlays everything. And fear is the primary number one weapon of the enemy. It's the, it's the weapon of the devil. That's what he uses. He wants you to be afraid to stand for the truth. I mean, Christ is the antithesis of that, right? I mean, if you look at what he suffered in the garden, if you look at the agony and the passion of Christ, he didn't want to go through that, but he did. Mm. He faced it head on. And today we have people looking at these things saying, I don't want to go through that, so I'm not. So we're hiding in our homes. And as awful as this virus might be, life has got to go on. And I, again, what we said, we discussed earlier, you cannot put anything past the liberal democratic establishment that they will use this to gain power. I have many friends that are conservative, Republicans, some who are liberal, and the hate that exists initially for our president because of what they think he is or because of words that he used or because of the life that he led. I got to tell you, God uses imperfect people all the time. As Catholics, one of the things I've learned is that a lot of the guys in the fancy robes and the hats, those are not the people you need to depend on, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's the front line. It's your parish priest. 
It's the nun who's teaching your, your child in kindergarten who's been doing it for 25 years. Uh, it's the, the people that visit the hospitals. I've read that there's one place, I think it was Milwaukee, I, I might be wrong, where the bishop actually suspended giving people last rites. Mm. Uh, now you're talking about the salvation and the final, the, the eternal rest of who we really are. I, I contrast that with a priest that I know here locally who has put pictures of himself on Facebook. He's going out of his way in Northern Virginia, where when you carve up the state, that's where most of the cases of this virus are. He's got a mask on and a face shield. He's going out of his way to go to hospitals and nursing homes because he's giving of himself, because he's giving of himself. And that's the American spirit. Well, but see, you're, I, not, you're not going to read about that, Alan. You're never going to hear about him. You're going to hear about the fact that the governors are shutting us down article recently about a priest close to the studio here in Knoxville, and he's been doing the same thing. Um, in his parish, he's actually, for instance, uh, been distributing Holy Communion by going, uh, by uh, having people indicate their interest in having him come to their homes, and he'll be outside the home, keeping the distancing regulations and all of this in mind, um, and he will uh, have adoration of the Eucharist and, and consecration, and he will administer uh, the Eucharist to people uh, while they kneel uh, um, uh, there uh, uh, in front of their house. Wow. Uh, and, and there's been tremendous interest, but that he would have the initiative and the courage now in the face of the environment some people are creating. And of course, with a Republican governor in Tennessee, not one of these people who is interested in getting people used to regimentation, um, this, there is leeway for people to be experimenting with how you go about showing respect for God and faith, rather than just assuming we're gonna kick it to the curb while our leaders show tremendous respect for the business of acting as if taking innocent human lives in the womb is not a crime against humanity, insulting to the worth and integrity of every human person, uh, but instead taking this attitude, well, they're not developed enough for us to care about them. And I found it interesting, by the way, that in the first stages of people reacting to this, though some of them now want us to forget that they were doing this, there were people who were trying to belittle the situation because after all, it's just the old people who are dying. And I said to myself, there we have the natural consequence. Having read out the young people, and I used to say this in my speeches years ago, that those of us who were getting up in years when we had gray hairs and so forth, we need to worry about the truth that as we were tolerating the disregard for the humanity of helpless children in the womb, so people would develop a disregard for the humanity of people weakened by and debilitated by the fragility of old age. It, it is coming true. Uh, yeah. And it seems to me that that should have been thought through as a natural consequence. Um, uh, why is it then? that we don't see that logic, which should be on the minds, not just of Catholics, but of every Christian person, revering Jesus Christ, understanding the sacrifice that he made for humanity itself, to try to draw us out of that condition, that fallen condition uh, that resulted from original sin and offer to us a path that would remind us that at the end of the day, uh, we can be in communion with God through the being of someone who did not think it robbery to be equal with God. So mm. we too can partake of that understanding of God's esteem for our existence in this universe. Shouldn't it be natural for Christian people to know this and, and be impelled by their faith to stand for it in the world? We certainly would hope so. But I think we live in a time, uh, and as again, as a Catholic, I can tell you one of the things that I hear from other Catholics is the example of the leadership. I think that human nature in and of itself is, people are followers. Mm. I, don't, I don't think it's natural for people to be leaders, at least in my experience. Mm. Um, so when you have leadership, when you have, I use the Catholic Church as an example. When you have priests that desperately want to be bishops, that's probably a bad thing. Mm. When you have bishops that desperately want to be cardinals, mm -hmm. that's also probably a bad thing. Um, and, and again, I'm not painting them, them, them all with, with, with a generalization uh, because there are very good priests, very good bishops, and very good cardinals. 
But in the last 60, 70 years, when you have the examples that we have of not standing courageously um, against someone, let's just use Nancy Pelosi as an example. I mean, how many times in the last two years have we had to, 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 to sit and try not to get sick as we watch her use her Catholic faith to defend her actions that are clearly crimes against the unborn, mm. crimes against humanity. Mm. And she hasn't been Catholic for the last 50 years. Mm. So how, how courageous is it for her bishop to simply say, she hasn't been Catholic for 50 years. Don't listen to a word she says. And until she finds herself on her knees, publicly asking for forgiveness and publicly rebuking everything that she stood for, that's against the truth of Jesus Christ, she's, she's out. For the good of her own soul, she's out. She's excommunicated. Uh, we don't see that level of courage. So your question is, shouldn't it be obvious to Christians? I, I think it is obvious, but I think the leadership that we have, the examples that we have, when we find people that are faithful and truthful, we have to cling to them. Mm. Bishop Strickland, I'm told, um, in the the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, I believe this is on YouTube, he, I think, stood up in front of all of his brother bishops, 200 plus men, and wanted to make sure have a resolution or some language passed to where abortion was kept at the forefront of critical issues. And there were crickets in the room. Mm -hmm. and, and you have to be kidding me. I mean, it's just, so someone like Bishop Strickland, when we have courageous men, we have to get behind them, we have to support them, we have to pray for them. We have to, and we have to pray for more. But then we, as Catholics and Christians, we have to follow the examples that we know are true, and regardless of the price. I mean, you, you opened by uh, saying very kind words about my mother. I can't tell you the hate that she's received over the years from, ca from Catholics. Mm. Um, Cardinal McCarrick, of all people, mm. um, you know, who's been defrocked and who knows what happened to him. I remember um, watching something where he called her a zealot. Mm. and a militant and mm. someone to be ignored um, and on and on and on and on and on. And that has never phased her an inch. If anything, it's made her more faithful. Yeah. And those are the types, she, she's my example. Well, so I, w I want to shift just slightly because I think that what we're saying uh, with respect to people who profess the faith, though they don't realize it, also applies to people who profess to be committed to and proud of and, and supporters of uh, America's identity as a nation. Proud to be an American, right? And okay. you have people, they'll claim to be left, right, center, and they'll still express a love of country. Uh, but what I find it inter interesting is, uh, as I've tried to do over the course of years, if you go out and remind these people of the first premise of our national life, it's like they haven't looked at it or thought about it, and they really would rather that you never mentioned it. Okay. Because the first premise of our national life is typified, obviously, in the first paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence, where when the American people stepped onto the stage of the world's attention to claim our status as a sovereign people, a people capable of and determined to govern themselves, separating themselves from the British uh, uh, rule of the British monarch. Who did they appeal to? Who did they appeal to? They, they, they talked about assuming among the powers of the earth that station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. Mm. Now you listen to these people talk, you and you would think that to mention God in connection with our politics and government, this is a crime, this can't be happening, and so forth, is the first thing that was done. We couldn't have stepped onto the stage as a people, except we evoked the authority of God. So if you cast the authority of God aside, which you are doing when you say that his provision for our nature, procreation being foremost among those provisions which keep us here, right, mm -hmm. alive and, and, and well, his provision for our nature doesn't matter. But then even further, you go to this concept of, of people talk about freedom and America stands for freedom. And I always like to say, well, you do know in the Declaration, the word freedom as such is never mentioned. Mm. The Declaration focuses on rights, on the word right. And then you have to stop and ask yourself, though some people say freedom and right are the same thing, they use right as if it just means 
the freedom to do something. There, there's a vital difference indicated by the word itself. Hmm. Right gets you to think about the standard that makes it right. And so you have to say, and what is the standard in the declaration? It says, God endowed unalienable rights. Hmm. We're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. So that means that God, an endowment is the one who fills it with money, fills it with substance, fills it with stuff that makes it real, right? Yes. So if you say God endowed right, there is a freedom involved, but the freedom has to be consequence, not a, a, a sort of in and of itself. What's it a consequence of? It's a consequence, and we use this phrase all the time, of exercising the right. Exercise mm. means to put into action. What are you putting into action? What is right? right? So when you're doing what's right according to God's standard, you have the right to do what you do. Mm. And government comes along and tells you to stop, they're not going against you, they're going against the authority of God. That's right. That's why we come together in the pursuit of those rights God has endowed us with, and we can stand against governments, however powerful they may think they are, because they don't trump the power of God the Creator and the authority of God the Creator. How Amen. come, with that as the bedrock, have we allowed ourselves as Christian people to be stampeded by the Supreme Court or anybody else into the false notion? that somehow or another we can sustain this form of government without thinking through the premise of God's authority on which the whole thing is based. Well, Alan, I think again, in our lifetime, we've watched this nation drift further and further and further from God. We've removed the Lord from schools. We've allowed sin to become law. We've allowed the opposition of sin to become criminal. You can be arrested for, in some places, if you get too close to the, the borderline of an abortion clinic, there are certain places where your speech can be called hate speech if you oppose homosexuality or, 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 or homosexual marriage. Um, we, as a people, have allowed God to be removed from the conversation, and that's how. Because you have generations of people who have been conditioned and allowed themselves to be conditioned to where Jesus, he's an hour on Sunday. And that's mm -hmm. it. That's it. That's it. I mean, I think President Obama, did he not, instead of having freedom of religion, he used the term freedom to worship. Mm. Um, I think, again, that liberalism is very much focused on killing God from everything and that government is God. And God is just one of the things that you do on Sundays, and everything else is dictated by the government. And I think that we as conservatives, that we as Americans, libertarians, whatever you happen to be, maybe you're even a liberal who still believes in, in the truth and strength of the Lord. You've got to oppose this culture and oppose the things that they stand for, and you've got to be loud about it. Fear, again, is a weapon that has allowed us to be sitting here today having this conversation and what we can't have is 10 years from now, things are 10 times worse because good people have sat by and done nothing. That's why evil has been allowed to go unchecked. Where there are plenty of good people in this, in this country. There are plenty of God-fearing people. They have to take the fear and remove the fear. And once the fear is gone, all things are possible. See, I think that that is so true. And I actually think it's very practically related to decisions that will soon have to be taken. Uh, consider, for example, the fact that the response to the coronavirus from the so-called experts like Fauci and these people has brought us to a point where upwards of 90% of the American people are sitting around doing nothing. Right. And if you sit around and do nothing for long enough, you do understand that we've been all wealthy and we've been able to count on this and that and we've had good and that. All of it will disappear, y'all. Yes. Because if we don't keep the economy functioning, then we end up with no food to eat, with no clothes to wear, with no cars to get around in, and with no work to do, That's including right. the work of growing the crops and eating the food. So you get yourself into that situation, you suddenly remember, we have to reach a point here, don't we? Especially, by the way, this is a little aside, but you need to think this through. What if, and there is some pattern 
in China's activities. Let's put it that way. And the so actual source of the Wuhan virus, things that go on in the lab that was probably the source, and so yeah. forth and so on, that lead you, force you to consider the strategic possibility that we have been hit by the first 21st century attack. Meaning to say a weapon that didn't exist much in the 20th century, that is coming into its own in the 21st century, and that is a weapon that is based on the biology, the biochemistry of the human body, right? Yes. Uh, what if that's happening? I'm not saying it is right now. There's just a pattern of behavior and other evidence that suggests it's at least a possibility you gotta consider. So let's consider it for a moment. If well, this isn't a one-off, and it's actually that first being struck with a new type of weapon, a stealth weapon, by the way, because it delayed its appearance and so that symptoms didn't appear until after you got the seedlings, the people who already were infected, widely distributed. And some people suggest that's why the Chinese lied for a long time, because they wanted time to get the leaven, you know, well and truly mixed into the loaf in Italy and America and other places with whom they did come. And isn't it interesting that Washington State, New York, places that we were hit hard with at first are also places that have extensive commerce involving trade and of individuals and commerce with China. Leave that aside. What if all this was true? You know what it means, y'all? It means that this isn't one attack. It's the beginning of a new era in which we're going to have to live with the danger of a different kind of attack that could take the form of a novel coronavirus or other novel things that they come up with in some laboratory for which you'd have to develop a vaccine for every single one every time you got hit. And that would mean if we're only going to shut the country down because we're so afraid, that would mean we'd have to shut the country down. And once the enemy realizes that's what's going to happen, you'll be shutting the country down every eight months, and in the interim, you won't have enough time to rebuild it. And mm. we'll be gone. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but consider it. How would we endure that? We endured the threat of nuclear weapons. How are we going to endure that threat? Uh, and there's another corollary. How are we going to endure it if we're victims of fear? Mm. So the truth is, aren't we going to have to reach a point, you, where we look at the situation and say, We'll do everything we can to minimize the threat to the extent possible, and then we're going to do what our ancestors did. We're going to, despite the danger, stand up and build and rebuild and, and, and move forward with the hope of our country, a hope that has to be grounded in the one thing that kills fear, and that is the reliance on Almighty God. Is this Amen. true or not? I, I'll tell you this, Alan, I have had the same conversation with my children um, and with friends. I can't remember the United States congressman that in January was the first to suggest that this virus came from that lab in Wuhan. Is it extraordinary? Is it conspiratorial? Is it something out of left field? Of course it's not. You know, the, the, the Chinese government is a communist government and the atrocities and the horrors that they've inflicted upon their own people. Is it possible that that government that has zero belief, zero reliance on God for anything is capable of creating and unleashing something even to their own detriment just to test it? Of course it is. And you're naive to think otherwise. So I, again, I think that one of the things that we have to reconcile as a nation is that all of us all of us love going to Target. You love going to Walmart. You love going to the local store. And what has opened my eyes through all of this is that we're benefiting when we walk into those places from slave labor. Okay, so you're able to buy whatever that item is that comes over in a boat from China for $19.99. That same item here would cost 40 or $50. It needs to be made here because the injustice and the injustice to the people in China is... How is that any different than some of the things we're talking about now? Well, as, hor as horrible as that country is, is what you're suggesting possible? 100%. So one of the things, Alan, I hope comes from this is more of a self-reliance on our farmers, yes. Yes. maybe on our neighbors, maybe on our local governments, not our state governments, that if this nonsense happens again, here's how we're going to handle it. We're not going to shut the schools down. We're not going to shut the churches down. If anything, the churches should be open 24-7. 
All right, everybody should be on their knees in the parking lot asking for God's mercy. Because to discount him in all of this, does God create the coronavirus? No. But the Lord oversees all things. What, what is the message in all this? I, I think that as a people, we need to wake up is what needs to happen and return to him. We have sadly come to the end of our time, but I think we've just come to the beginning of our discussion. <laughs> I hope that from time to time you'll be willing to come back in I'd the course to. of this crisis because we just opened a vista that I think people need desperately to think through right now. Uh, because this situation may not be as temporary as they say. And if we're not going to prove to be a temporary republic that lasted for a while and then blinked out because we gave in to fear, we're going to have to rediscover the source of the fearlessness that got people through generation after generation, whether they were fighting against the wild and the, and the, uh, uh, the climate and the difficulties, uh, or whether people were fighting against each other, civil wars and other kind of wars, the courage that helped us to keep aloft the hope of decent liberty was one that came from faith in God. We gotta find a way to make sure that doesn't die in any attack from any accident or purposeful weapon of any kind whatsoever. And if we can, then I think our country still has the hope, uh, not just to defeat the coronavirus, but to defeat the fear that will lead us to surrender our liberty along with our faithfulness to God's law, God's truth, and God's goodwill. Ponder that as always, and join us again here on Let's Talk America.